0: Good morning. How's everybody doing today? I'm really excited to be able to be here today. Um, especially to be able to share the message that I believe God has um, placed upon my heart uh, to share with you. This is one of those things that if you read uh, our Facebook, my Facebook post um, from yesterday... Uh, one of the things I said on it, that this is the kind of message that I believe literally if, if you just will allow all the distractions of life to leave your thinking, because it's so easy to get just caught up in what's happening around us, if you can just allow that to be gone and just allow God to speak to you and to speak to your heart, I guarantee you this could be life-changing. I know it was for me. And... Um, It's another one of those moments, kind of defining moments in my life as well. And I'll share more about that as we go through. But I really believe that this can be one of those times for you. And so with that said, I just want us to get started. Now, when I was growing up, remember last week and the illustrations that I used? And I talked about how um, I had just a hand-me-down bike which was, would have been fine, except it was my sister's bike, you know, you remember. So uh, I'm going to the ball field on a girl's bike, and then that's just not fun. So anyway, and I told you that, you know, my mom and dad eventually was able to get me, you know, a bike. I didn't tell you how they, they got that. They got it like this. When I was growing up, and some of you maybe will remember this. Most of you probably won't. But when I was growing up, they had a thing at the grocery stores, where you would collect green and yellow stamps. Anybody remember that? Some of you were shaking your heads. Uh, Garen, you never did that. I don't know. Okay, grandparents did. Um, and so my mom did that. She collected green, the green and yellow stamps. And uh, then what you would do is you would take those to a place that was called a redemption center. You would redeem those. You would turn those in, and you would get something in return. You would buy something back. Well, my mom had saved enough where it paid for most of the bicycle that I I was able to get. And it was through those green and yellow stamps. Now, today they really don't do that, other than the grocery stores do um, sometimes... You'll get stamps, and then you can get, like, cookware or something like that, because I know Lucy does that every so often, you know. But this was a little different. This was actually things that you redeemed, things that you took to a place called a redemption center. Now, I want you to remember that term, redemption, and the other term, redeemed, because they're going to play a big part in what we're going to talk about today. Because here is what I want us to do. Today we're going to go on a journey this morning. One that will help us to discover the mission that Jesus had in fulfilling God's plan of redemption. There's that word, redemption. You see, God's plan to save the world from sin started literally before time began. In the mind of a loving and gracious and merciful God. And it's summed up by this incredible word, called redemption. Redemption is a beautiful word that embraces God's plan to literally restore the world back to himself. It means deliverance from some evil by payment of a price. The word had several usages throughout the Old Testament, but common to them all is the idea of freedom that comes from a price that was paid. Somebody wrote this. They said, Redemption is a word that implies helplessness. It's the picture of one held captive by forces that they cannot overcome. It's only by the intervention of a third party that they can be rescued. You see, redemption can never be possessed by human effort alone. It can only happen through the work of a redeemer. And so throughout the Old Testament, God's people look forward in hope To the day when God would send the Messiah. Because he would be the one who would redeem them from their sin. And he would fulfill God's plan and God's mission. Now there's something, again, we need to understand. It's just what I said a moment ago. Redemption didn't start in a manger in Bethlehem. Again, it started before the creation of the world in the mind of God. And it was finally brought into light when Jesus was born. And his birth set into motion God's final piece of the redemption puzzle. So for the next few moments, I just want to kind of paint a picture for you in your minds and in your hearts. A picture that will hopefully help us to understand what God's redemptive plan has done for each and every one of us that's in this room. Now one of the things you'll hear if you're visiting with us, I don't believe anybody's here by accident. I believe if you're here today, it's, it's because God, God pricked your heart and, and whether it was through the invitation of someone else, you still came today and I don't think that's by accident. Maybe it's because of something we're going to say in just a few moments. Maybe it's something that you need to hear. Maybe it's something that somebody spoke into you or or a song that was sung. But I don't believe any of us here by accident. I believe we're here today because God has a message that he wants each and us, each and every one of us to hear, and it's that message of redemption. It's his plan to save the world from sin. Let's pray as we begin. Father, I just thank you for all you do. I thank you for what you've done. God, you are such an amazing God. And when I begin to think about all that you have done throughout history to bring us back to you, it's just, it just blows my mind. And it helps me to just fall to my knees in thanksgiving because of your grace and mercy. So God, for the next few moments, may you open our hearts and minds, so that we might receive your words, not mine, but your words. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It's been about twelve years ago now when I went to uh, the leadership summit. Um, I actually went to this uh, one of their uh, sites. It's held at uh, it was held at Willow Creek. Was the main main campus that it was at, but they literally had sites all over the world for the Leadership Summit. Now, I went to the one, because we were in Arizona at the time, so I went to the one at Mariner's Church in Southern California. And that particular Leadership Summit, uh, Bill Hybels got up and he spoke about what we're going to talk about today. It was interesting because it, it really was kind of a pull a pull away from the Leadership That was mainly the focus of the summit, but yet it was something he felt so strongly that people needed to hear. And let me tell you, I needed to hear it that day. And I walked away from that summit with that message on my heart saying, that's a message people have to hear. And so, this morning, I want to give it to you. Because I think it literally, it will change you like it did me you got to understand, I'd already been in the ministry at that point for 28 years. And yet it still impacted my life. And part of that is because we never stop growing, do we? And we never stop, stop maturing. And hopefully, every one of us, we never get to the place where we say we've arrived, right? And I'm the same way. The only time I'm going to arrive is when I cross over and I meet my Father in heaven. Then I've arrived, right? But before then, we are all just learning. So as we think about God's plan and the whole message of redemption, I believe that it can be summed up with these two words. Substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. Now, before you lose hope or you fall asleep, okay, because it's not really that bad, before you do that, I just want to break this down for you so that we can begin to understand it, Stand these two words and how it applies to us. So let's take the two words separate. The word substitute. What's it mean? Well, it means to take the place of, right? How many of you ever had a substitute in school? Raise your hand. If you ever had a substitute teacher in school, come on, raise them high. Okay. Now, how many of you, you don't have to raise them this time, but how many of you need to repent because of the way you treated your substitute? Ah, That's another story, right? But a substitute is someone who takes the place of. That's a substitute. The word atonement. The word atonement carries the meaning of a payment for or to pay the price of. So in other words... It's a payment made to satisfy the demands of justice. So let's put these two words together and you'll have the central message of God's plan to redeem all of mankind. And it's simply this. His son would become our substitute that would pay the penalty and pay the price to meet the demands of justice because of our sin. His son became our substitute, and he paid the price for us. And when you put those two words together, let me tell you, it sets us apart from every other world religion because as we've said before, every other religion, if you do something wrong, you must self-atone. You screw up, you pay. You break the rules, you pay. But in Christianity, God said, I will pay the penalty for your screw-ups. How awesome is that? I'll pay the penalty for your screw-ups. I will be your substitute, and I will atone for your sin. So what did God do to put his plan of redemption into motion? Well, as I said a moment ago, in order to fully understand the concept that Jesus became our substitute, you literally got to go back to the very beginning. You got to go back to the book of Genesis. And you got to go back to the Garden of Eden. And we've talked about this part of it before. Just let me remind you. All of us know this story. Adam and Eve, they they were in fellowship with God. And they lived on a daily basis just in worship and, and in fellowship with the Father in the garden. And it was amazing and it was beautiful. And God said, look, you can have everything, but you can't eat from that tree. That one tree, you can't do it. And as we know, the the enemy, the serpent comes by, he tempts them, they take the apple, they eat it, and immediately, all of a sudden, they begin to realize their nakedness. They begin to realize their shame. While they do, they go hide. They go hide from God because they know they've broken the rule, right? They hide, and they try to take fig leaves, and they try to cover themselves, and they can't cover their shame, and they can't cover their guilt on their own. And God comes along and says, hey, where are you guys at? And like they're trying to hide from God. And they come before God and God begins to deal with them. And after he deals with them, he does something awfully amazing. And it's found in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. Look what it says. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Just a short verse, but a very powerful verse. In fact, it's a verse that it's easy just to skip over the depth of what's there. Because here's what happened. God shows up. He does something incredible. He takes an innocent third party, an animal. He sheds its blood. He takes its skin and he covers their shame and he covers their guilt. And many scholars believe that this was the beginning of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. It was the beginning of God's plan of redemption. It was the beginning and the foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for all mankind as he would become our substitute. And that day, Adam and Eve learned a valuable lesson, and it's this, without the shedding of blood, there will be no forgiveness. That's what they learned. Without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness. Now remember that and hold on to that. Because now we're going to roll the clock ahead a few years. In fact, quite a few years. And the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And God decides it's time to free them. So God brings 10 plagues upon the people, with the final one being the death of the firstborn son. I mentioned this just briefly uh, two weeks ago, but I want to go into it just a little more in depth this morning. So here's what happens when when they get to that 10th plague. God comes to Moses and he says, look, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to tell the families. It's found in Exodus chapter 12. He says, I want them to take either a lamb or a goat. It needs to be only a year old. And it needs to be spotless, without defect. And I want you to take that. And when it's, when it's time, what you're going to do is you have the people, you, they have to kill that lamb, kill that goat. They have to take that blood and they have to smear it upon the doorposts, upon the head of the, of the door and down the sides of the doorposts. They just smear with the blood of that lamb or that goat. And then what I want you to do is this. They need to take that Goat that lamb that's left, and they need to roast it at night. If there's a family that's too small to, to to be able to eat a whole one, then they need to join with another family. But they need to to roast it, and then they need to eat as much as they can. And what's left, they need to burn it before morning. And I want you, and I want you to keep that in, in your back in your mind. We'll get to that pretty soon. But I want you to remember. That part right there. Because here's what's going to happen, he says. Tonight the death angel is going to come and he's going to pass over all the homes that have the blood of the lamb on the post. Look look at what it says. It says, on that same night I will pass through Egypt. This is in verse 12 of chapter 12. And strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment On all the gods of Egypt, I am the Lord. Then look at this in verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destruction, no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Why? Because they were covered by the blood of the Lamb. The same message that was told to Adam and Eve is now told to the people of Egypt without the shedding of blood. There's no forgiveness. There's no salvation without the shedding of blood. Now let's roll the clock ahead a little further. Because I want us to look for just a moment at the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Now if you were just kind of a normal rank and file Israelite and you messed up You know what you had to do? You had to kill an animal. You had to make a blood sacrifice because something had to atone for your sin that had already been established as we begin to see. And this practice turns into this incredible event called the Day of Atonement. And during this celebration, the high priest We would do something very interesting. He would go into the Holy of Holies. He would wash himself, cleanse himself. He would make a sacrifice for himself. And he would put the blood in there. And he would come back out. And when he came back out, they would choose two goats. And two goats would be brought before the priest. One would be killed and his blood would be shed. It would become a blood offering. The other goat would be brought before the tent of meeting and it would be brought right before the high priest and all the people are gathered around. And as the people are gathered around, the high priest would begin to lay his hands upon the head of that goat and then he would begin to announce the sins of the people for that year. And basically what he would do is this, he would say something like, I transfer your sins From you to the head of this goat. And then they would choose a young, strong young man who would take that goat. He would be taken out into the wilderness where he would be lost and where he would die. And then, when that young man came back, he would simply say to the people, All your sins for this year are gone. They're gone. That was the day of atonement. Now let's roll the clock ahead just a little further. And during the days of Isaiah, the world looked pretty bleak and pretty hopeless. And yet, in the midst of this hopelessness, God begins to give them hope and he tells them of the promised Messiah, the Redeemer. The one who would atone for their sins, who would become their substitute. And so in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, a very familiar verse, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel." So we come down into chapter 53, verse 56 of Isaiah, we read, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He became your substitute. Your sins were put on him. He atoned for your sins and mine. And so when God spoke through Isaiah, the ancient world knew that their only hope would be found in the coming of the Messiah because he would become the Lamb of God and he would pay the price to redeem them back. So let's roll the clock ahead some more. And as we come into the New Testament, God continues to unfold his amazing mission of redemption. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. Look what it says. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Matthew puts it this way, Matthew 1.21. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. In other words, this baby that's about to be born through Mary, guess what? It's going to become your substitute. And He will atone for your sins. He will redeem you back from your sins. Let's roll the clock ahead a little further. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist is out preaching. And as he looks up, he's out actually baptizing people to roll their sins back for the year. And he looks up and he sees Jesus coming. And when he sees Jesus coming, he basically says, There, this, look, he says, There, over there, coming before us. You know who that is? That's the Messiah. That's your sacrificial lamb. He's the one that all the Old Testament has been pointing to. And it will be his blood that will be spilled to wash our sins away. He's your scapegoat. He's the one that all your sins will be placed upon. And not just for a year, but for all eternity. And three years later, as Jesus is observing the Passover with his disciples, during the meal, he takes the bread and he takes the cup and he says, this is my body which will carry your sins and it will be broken for you. And he says, this is my blood on your behalf to cleanse you from your sins and it will take all of this and it will take all of this to atone for your sins. You remember just a few minutes ago, I told you to kind of put that back in your mind about the Passover. Did you notice that the Passover, it didn't just include the blood that would be placed upon the doorpost. What else did it include? It included eating the lamb. And Jesus says, it's going to take my, all my blood and it's going to take my body. And every time you come together and you take communion... You're remembering what I have done for you. Because it took all of this and it took all of this to atone for your sins. And a short time later, he's nailed to a cross. Look what it says in John chapter 19, verses 16 and 18. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. And so they took Jesus away Carrying a cross by himself, he went to the place called Place of the Skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha, and they nailed him to a cross. You ever wondered why a cross? In an article written by Robert Gidley called The Facts of the Crucifixion, this is what he writes. He said, Crucifixion probably started first with the Persians, which is modern day Iran. Initially, The victim was suspended to keep their feet from touching holy ground. The Phoenicians' traders, also acquired the practice and probably spread it to other cultures, including the Greeks. Alexander the Great introduced it to Carthage, where it was picked up by the Romans. They started using it around the time Jesus was born. The Romans perfected it as a punishment designed to maximize pain and suffering. You see, it wasn't about killing somebody. It was about killing somebody in a really horrific way. It was also the most disgraceful form of execution, usually reserved for slaves, foreigners, revolutionaries, and the worst criminals. The only time a Roman citizen was ever crucified was for desertion from the army. So if crucifixion was such a horrific form of execution... Why did God include it in his redemptive plan? I mean, why did Jesus have to go through so much pain and suffering on your behalf and my behalf? Why did he have to do it? Well, first of all, because let me tell you, sin is a big deal. And if sin is not dealt with, it will separate us from God. You want to know why Jesus had to go through that? It's because To God, sin's a big deal. Now, the reality is, for most of us in this society that we live in, sin's really not a big deal, right? But it is to God. Why? Because it separates us from God. And if it's not dealt with, it will separate you from God for an eternity. Maybe that's why Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, For everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. You see, whether you realize it or not, or whether you want to accept it or not, we are all sinners in need of a Savior, every one of us. We're just sinners in need of a Savior. I love what Rabbi Zacharias said. He said, the cross proves that sin is not trivial. It proves that we are valuable and forgiveness is possible. It's awesome. And so why did Jesus have to to go through it? Because sin's a big deal, but also because no matter how much we want to save ourselves, get this, we can never meet the demands of justice. On our own, we can never meet the demands of justice. Paul writes in Romans 6, 23, the payment for sin is death. But God gives us the free gift of life forever in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me tell you, we would be up a creek if Jesus hadn't become our substitute. We would be up a creek if he hadn't chosen to pay the price and to redeem us back because he's the only one that can meet the demands of justice. You see, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you've done. It doesn't matter who your parents are. You can never do enough to save yourself. Never. And why the cross? Because sin can only be removed by the cleansed and cleansed by the shedding of blood. Like we've seen through the whole Old Testament, the message of God's plan of redemption was this forgiveness can only come through the shedding of blood. Listen to these words. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verse 7 He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with what? The blood of His Son. And forgave our sins. In Romans chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. But God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So through Christ we, were surely, we surely will be saved from God's anger. Because we have been made right with God. How? Look at this. By the blood of Christ's death. Colossians 1.20 God made peace through the blood of Christ's death on the cross. You see, the cross played a huge role in God's redemptive plan. That's why as Jesus was dying, it is no accident what he said. Look at John 19, verse 30. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Now, Jesus wasn't giving up. I've told you that before. Jesus wasn't giving up. He wasn't surrendering. He wasn't, what he was doing was this. He was saying, God's plan of redemption that started before the creation of the world that was introduced in the garden with Adam and Eve that was demonstrated through the Old Testament that was birthed through Mary that John talked about that I shared with my disciples at our last meal together is now being fulfilled in me. It is now being fulfilled. What started before creation is now complete in me. I have become your substitute and I have paid the price and have atoned for the sins of all mankind. It is finished. It's been brought to completion. It's fulfilled in me. Oswald Chambers wrote, The greatest note of triumph that ever sounded in the ears of a startled universe sounded on the cross. It is finished. That is the last word in the redemption of man. Now, let me tell you. If you haven't heard anything else, please hear this. Jesus' death on the cross met the demands of justice. He paid the penalty for your sin and mine. We have been redeemed today through the blood of Jesus. Now, before we close, there's one more event that we need to understand. And so we're going to roll the clock ahead some more. Why? Because the Bible is very clear that there is a final day of reckoning that's coming. The Bible is very clear about that. The Bible is clear that there's an end point to human history, where every person who has ever lived will stand before a holy God. And the only question I believe that will be asked of us is this. Who has atoned for your sin? Who has atoned for your sin? In other words, someone had to satisfy the demands of justice. Somebody had to pay the price for our sin. And the reality is, there's only two options. Two options. Option one, you can try to self-atone. Good luck on that one. You can try to self-atone. Every person has that right to choose this option. In other words, you can take the hit. Now, let me tell you, that's a bad idea, right? That's a bad idea. Because if you choose to self-atone, the Bible is very clear that you will be separated from God. You will be cast into eternal darkness and you will experience incredible regret for all eternity. Why? Why? Because there is nothing you can do to satisfy the demands of justice. That's why God went to such great lengths to redeem us and to buy us back. Option two, the better option. We can allow Christ's birth, his death, and his resurrection to atone for our sin. He paid the price. He met the demands of justice. He took the hit so that you wouldn't have to. Now, let me tell you, I'll be very honest with you. When I get to that point in my life, and I stand before my God, and if that's the question I am asked, who will atone for my sins? You know what I'm going to tell him? I'm going to tell him this. When I was a freshman in high school, I was 15 years old, I got on my bike on a Saturday morning, and I rode my bike over to my youth pastor's house, and we sat around his table that Saturday morning, And he shared the Bible with me. He shared the gospel story with me. And I surrendered my life and I gave my life to Jesus. And I allowed Jesus' death to pay the price for my sin. And then we got up from that table and we went to the church and he baptized me into Christ. I was immersed into Christ. Why? Because I was demonstrating and symbolizing what had just taken place in my heart. Let me tell you, baptism is always an immediate process in the first century. It's only through the years that man has gotten in the way and confused the issue. It was never an issue in the first century. When somebody surrendered to Jesus, they were baptized. And so I allowed Jesus Christ to become my substitute. I allowed Jesus to atone for my sin. I allowed Jesus... To pay the price. He took the hit so I wouldn't have to. And now I can just live my life for him. There's a great verse in Isaiah 53 verse 6 that says, But the Lord has put on him the punishment for all the evil we have done. All the evil we have done has been placed upon Jesus. You see, when you accept Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that he places all of our sin on himself. And then he invites God to punish it. Maybe that's why Paul could write these words. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this to Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. In other words, our substitute who atoned for our sin. Now let's reflect. You know what amazes me over the years? I've been in ministry now full time. At the end but at the end of December, it will start 40 years that I've been full time in ministry. And over these years, I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people, not only people that are giving their life to Christ, but people who say they're Christians. And sometimes it's the people that say they're Christians that that I think have the hardest time for some reason. Because I've talked to people who are Christians, and it's interesting that when I say, Isn't heaven going to be awesome? Isn't heaven going to be amazing? Only to have them come back and say, Well, I hope so. Hope so. I hope it is. I mean, I hope that's where we're going. I hope that's what we get. Now, let me tell you, if you were in the hope so stage, then you don't understand the concept that Jesus Christ became your substitute. If you're in the hope so stage, then you don't understand the fact that God from the very beginning had a plan to save us. It's time we got out of the hope so stage. And it's time to understand what Christ has done for us to become our substitute and to pay the penalty for our sin and to buy us back from an enemy that just wants to take us out. So let me ask you, where are you at in your life? Where are you at in your life? Have you surrendered to Christ? Have you allowed His death to pay the price and to atone for your sin? Have you surrendered to him and, and just said, God, I want you into my heart? And if you've done that, have you been immersed into Christ? Have you been baptized? Because that's not optional equipment in the salvation plan of life. That's something we do out of obedience because he's commanded it. Are you living your life with the, with the knowledge that one day you will be with the Father in heaven because of what Christ has done for you? Is that a part of you? Here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, we're going to go into a time of the Lord's Supper. And When we do, I'm going to be sitting over here, and I just want to invite you. If you need to make a decision today, If you've never surrendered to Christ first and foremost, then you need to come. If you are still in that hope so stage, then you need to come. If you just need to come out of repentance because your life has just been so crazy and so messed up that you've lost sight of who Jesus is in your life, then you need to come. If you've been visiting with us and you you just want this to be your home church, then you need to come so we can talk. Whatever it is in your life, I want to be over here. I want to talk with you and pray with you and encourage you. And if we have more than what I can handle, I'll have Andy come. I'll have some others come that can help us in this. So here's what we're going to do. If the worship team will make their way up, we want to prepare to go to around the Lord's table. And as we do, I just want you to know, if you're visiting with us, this is just a part of who we are. It's a part of our DNA. So each and every week as we come together as the body of Christ, we come before him and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It's not just for our church, it's for anybody that's given their life to Jesus. This is your time to be with God. So we got two stations on this side and two stations on this. In just a moment, I'll invite you to go. And if you'll just take the bread and dip it in the cup, and then go back and spend some time in prayer, then... And then after everyone has had an opportunity, then we're going to worship together. But during this time, if you just need to make a decision, if there's something on your heart, I'm going to be sitting right over here. I just want to come and I just want to pray with you and encourage you today. Pray with me, Lord, I just thank you for this time. And I thank you for all you do and all you've done. God, you're such an amazing God and I can't thank you enough for the plan that you put into place from the very beginning. Thank you. That you didn't just say, yeah, I just need to start over. I'm just going to wipe them all out. Because you could have done that, God. You're God. I'm thankful that you saw something in us that said, I need to save them. I need to provide a way for them so they can come back to me. Thank you. Now, as we celebrate your supper together, as we take the bread and as we take the juice, may we remember the sacrifice that you made and the price that was paid. May we remember that it goes all the way back to when you freed the Israelites. How cool is that? That even back then you were giving a picture of what, you would do. We thank you, Father, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.